Lord, and I, I was going down the road, and I noticed it was, it was pulling to the right. And so my first thought was that this car needs an alignment. And so an alignment is when the suspension is out of a line with the tires, and it's not the right angles for the tires to make contact with the road. A lot of times in our own spiritual lives, we need alignment, don't we? Uh, probably every day of our lives in some ways, surely in different seasons of our lives, we need God to realign us so that we are walking faithfully with Him. We tend to move to the right or to the left, don't we? We tend to shift one way or the other. Um, sometimes we get off center and uh, we need to pull it back to the center. Sometimes we overemphasize things in our spiritual lives. Uh, good things in our spiritual lives that need to kind of be pulled back to the center. For example, we can highlight or accent the, tr uh, the mercy and the grace and the intimacy of God and maybe fail to put the accent mark as well over the transcendence of God. Both are important and both are needed. So there's this situation in our life where we tend to get out of alignment and we need God to realign our hearts I want us to look at a topic that um, I, I will speak for myself and I think for the American church in one sense that I think today we, we tend to get out of alignment or we can or, or not necessarily out of alignment but we may not put the emphasis there that is needed in our spiritual life. I have surely seen this in my own life and I've been reminded of this in my own life recently as well. We fail to place the accent mark over it, or maybe even to give it the attention that it needs. And that topic is obedience. Obedience to God. Uh, walking in the path of obedience. Very intentionally pursuing godliness and holiness of life and a life that is focused upon the Lord, that my life reflects um, the calling that God has placed upon our lives. Or as um, one man once said in this book, if we're not careful, a gap will be created between our love for the gospel and our love for godliness. And recently, my heart and mind was kind of realigned with this. It needed to be realigned, to think through, okay, I know we're supposed to obey, I want to obey, but sometimes I don't put the accent mark there as much as maybe is needed to be. So I want us to look at a passage of Scripture that's very familiar, probably if you've been around the church for a long time. You've heard this passage many, many times. Uh, you maybe not have heard it spoken on this topic of obedience, but it's found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, commonly referred to as the Great Commission. But I want us to look at this passage very briefly. I'll summarize, and then I want us to come back and just look at one aspect of this commission found in Matthew 28. Let's read the passage together. I will read it. Matthew chapter 28 says these words. And Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Probably in my own spiritual life, I don't think there's probably that many passages that have had the impact upon my life as this passage has. 
Uh, it would be an overstatement to say that it has not impacted me and guided me in, in many, many ways. Uh, for example, it screams at me to keep what is primary, primary. And that primary is the role of the church and role of our lives, and that is to make disciples, which is simply said to help people come into a relationship with Christ and then to grow in that relationship with Christ. This passage has also been a tremendous comfort to me um, in many, many ways, because it begins with all authority has been given to Jesus, and then Jesus ends it by saying, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. So no matter what season of life that I'm going through, a difficult season or whatever it might be, there's this sense of God's power and this sense of God's presence that is always with me and always with us. And then these verses at times, but not often enough, has, has caused my heart to soar, to be excited, and to be grateful that I have the privilege of participating in this commission. I mean, the Great Commission. Uh, what an honor that, that God will allow us as his people to come alongside him and to participate in something that is grand and great is the greatest commission of all times. When we come to the Great Commission, we see a number of things, just very briefly to summarize it. As I said, we see God's power and his presence is with us. Um, when we come to the purpose, we see that we are called to make disciples. And then we ask ourselves, what is the disciple? A disciple is someone who is a follower of Jesus. Um, a disciple begins as he embraces Christ as his Lord and Savior. A disciple is someone who wants to follow Jesus, be like Jesus. Recently, my wife and I were uh, at a dealership. We're looking to buy another vehicle. And the individual who was a salesman waiting on us or attending to us uh, was from Syria. And so as we had had a conversation together for a few minutes, and we didn't buy a vehicle, so he was greatly disappointed. But, but as we conversed, uh, we came to realize that he knows a good friend of ours who is also a believer. And my wife asked him, she said, are you a follower of Jesus? And see, that's what a disciple is. That's what a Christian is. A Christian is a follower of Jesus. A disciple is not a super Christian, someone who's at a different spiritual level, but a disciple is just simply a Christian. That's how the Bible refers to Christians as disciples. So when Paul says, go therefore and make disciples, he's just simply saying, be a spokesman, help people come into that relationship, and then help them to grow in that relationship as a disciple. And we see that plan working itself out in the Great Commission. Um, there are three words that describe what we are called to do. We are called to go, right? We take the initiative and we go and we make disciples. Uh, I've said to my own church, I said, if, if we don't go, then at best we'll just reshuffle the deck. God calls us to go. God calls us to engage. God calls us to, to live life out in love and grace towards those whom he brings into our lives. 
And as you go, you, you baptize. And of course, this implies much more than this, but it does imply that person coming to faith and coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then we see the third thing that we're called to do, and this will lead us into our topic. We are called to teach. And quite often as I looked at this passage, I just kind of pass over this, but we're called to go, we're called to baptize, and we're called to teach. And what are we called to teach people? To teach them what? All that I have commanded you. Very interesting, isn't it? That Jesus says, he kind of summarizes, says, what I want you to do is that I want you to go, I want you to live your life out before people, I want you to tell them about me, and as they come into a relationship with me, I then want you to teach them everything about what it looks like to obey me. Jesus says, teach them all that I've commanded you. And all in the Greek means all. The emphasis here is just simply on obedience to God. Sometimes I like to describe the Christian life as like a dance, like maybe a foxtrot. I can't do that dance, but it's a three-step dance. So in this dance, you can think of it this way. This dance with the Lord, our Christian life, um, one step would be daily repentance. Uh, I just, as we have the prayer confession, I repent of those things that are disobedient to the Lord. Uh, I repent of those things above the waterline that everybody sees and I see. And I repent of my heart, my motives below the waterline of my own disobedience. Then the second step would be faith. I walk in faith. I believe and I rest in all that Christ has done for me, that I am united with him. And then the third aspect of this dance is obedience. So I repent, I believe, and I obey. You know what's very fascinating is that, this is an argument from silence, but very fascinating that Jesus didn't include repentance and faith in this commission. He didn't say anything about repentance or didn't say anything about faith, which are vitally important. He talks about them in other places, but when he summarizes what he wants us to do as his church when he says, go therefore and make disciples, baptize them, and teach them to deserve all that I've commanded you. He didn't talk about repentance and faith, but he talked about obedience. And I think I know why. I'm going to make a guess. You can think about this. I think the reason being is because if you're not obeying, then you truly haven't repented or believed. See, obedience is really, in many respects, the, the outflow of a heart that is growing in repentance and growing in faith. You see, obedience is a pursuit of holiness. I would even go so far to say this. Obedience is necessary for salvation. Now, before you throw me out of the church, before you think I'm teaching work salvation, let me explain what I mean by that. The necessity of teaching obedience in the Christian life does not undermine our confidence in justification by faith. Faith and obedience are both necessary. Where faith is the root of our salvation and obedience is the fruit of our salvation. James said, faith 
without works is dead. Listen to how Jesus said this, and he said it very clearly, as he always does. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. The one who obeys. Now, Jesus is not saying that through your obedience you enter heaven, but Jesus is just simply implying, as in all of Scripture, that obedience is the outflow of of a heart and a life that's been changed. You see, it's possible to be in the right place, to say all the right things, but not be His. Listen to how Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, describes it in chapter 12, verse 14. He says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. That's a staggering statement. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So you may be thinking, well, yes, that's right, we must be holy, but I am, as a Christian, I am holy in Christ, right? His life for my life, his death for my death, I am justified by Christ, I am holy in Christ, and that is absolutely true. And and thank God that's absolutely true. We would have no hope if it was not. But Hebrews chapter 12 is not talking about our positional holiness. It's talking about our practical holiness or obedience. It is not a holiness or obedience that we receive, but a practical holiness that we strive for in our lives. That we seek to say, God, of all that you've done for me and the magnitude of your grace to me, I want to do all that I can to pursue you in godliness and holiness of life. There are over a hundred verses just like this one laced throughout the scriptures. So this is what Jesus has called us to teach. Teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. Now, I'm going to say to you, as I said earlier, and I said to Grace a few weeks ago when we looked at this passage, why did I select this topic on obedience? See, years ago when we started Grace, um, there was a real desire, a real drive on our part uh, to, to build a church that was hopefully would grow and continues to grow, uh, to be centered upon the gospel of God's grace. Um, we wanted to push against the moralism of our day. Um, that just seems to be nice but not new. We wanted to get move away from the legalism that maybe was apparent in our day. Have we removed all that? By no means. We are still very much and always be a work in progress. But we wanted to push against that. And so probably in those early years of our life, the accent mark was always over grace, and it still is, and it should always be. The accent mark should always be on grace. But sometimes... Sometimes when you put the accent mark over one thing, you may fail to put the accent mark over another thing. And I'm just saying in my own life and in my teaching, I realized, I said, I think I've done that some. Where we call for obedience, but I have not emphasized that enough. I believed it, I would teach it, but but somehow the accent mark maybe was not strong enough there. You see, you must be aware that in emphasizing one thing in our Christian life, and we're all guilty of this, 
you can de-emphasize something else. We tend to emphasize what we most need, right? I, I mean, that's true about God and about our relationship with him. We tend to emphasize the things that, that we feel like we need more. Someone once said that balance is when the pendulum swings from one side to the other, and it's that brief moment when it's in the middle. Because <laughs> we're creatures that kind of swing from one place to the other. It's our nature. As I said before, if you're not careful, a gap will be created between your love for the gospel and your love for godliness. Where easy believism creeps into our lives in the church, where the necessity of obedience and godliness is absent and not pursued, where comfort and pleasure and recreation become the ultimate pursuit, where apathy can um, take place and not taking our spiritual lives seriously, where sin is normalized, um, where our language and our behavior becomes not reflective of the gospel and of Christ. All of this was happening on some levels in the five of the seven churches in Revelation chapter 1 through 3. So we are not exempt from it. It's part of still living in a fallen world and having a heart that can move away from the Lord. It is not moralism to take obedience seriously. You are not less gospel-centered if you call for obedience and you call for the pursuit of holiness. Kevin DeYoung in his book, The Whole in Our Holiness, identifies a number of areas where, um, well, reasons to why we may struggle at times with putting the emphasis on obedience. Let me just identify a few of those. I found them relevant for our lives. He says, one, because a passion for holiness makes you some kind of weird hangover from a bygone era. We become uncomfortable, maybe, when talking about practical aspects of godliness. We're afraid that people might label us as legalist or narrow-minded or old-fashioned or holier-than-thou, and for God's sakes, not a fundamentalist. And some will do that in our lives, and probably some have done that. He also says that the second reason you may resist pursuing holiness or obedience because labeling any behavior as ungodly feels judgmental or intolerant. And yes, let me say, it is wrong to be judgmental. And, and the church should not be that way in the culture and the world in which we live in. Uh, we should always have an attitude and a spirit of grace and reception towards those around us. But it's not wrong to make a judgment. It's not wrong to say this is wrong and this is right. And there's a way to do that without being judgmental. Will you be accused of being judgmental? Probably in some places. But it's not wrong for the church to not say this is wrong and this is right. He says, maybe the pursuit of holiness or obedience to God does not occupy the prominent place in our lives because it's hard work. I found that to be true, right? I mean, dying to self is hard work. Requires something of us um, to pursue the Lord. 
Or maybe it does not take a prominent place because we don't think it matters. Some may reason if I am already a Christian, that in Christ my life is pleasing to God. Nothing I do will make God love me anymore. And nothing I don't do will make him love me anymore. All that's true. All that's very true. But I say to myself, as I say to us, be careful with the thinking and the mindset. Yes, you are accepted. Yes, you are loved. Lest you're in Christ, you will always be that way. But our lives can be displeasing to God. In Christ, they are pleasing. But practically in our lives, our lives can be displeasing and our lives can be pleasing to Him. We can actually, by our life, bring pressure to God. That He can be pleased with the way we live our lives out as we pursue personal holiness and godliness. Otherwise, there would have been no need to say, don't grieve the Spirit. Listen to these verses. Colossians chapter 1 tells us that bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God is pleasing to Him. Romans 12 tells us that presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice is, is pleasing to Him. Colossians 2 tells us that obeying your parents is pleasing to God. 1 Timothy 2 tells us that praying for our governing authorities is pleasing to God. Hebrews chapter 13 tells us that sharing with others is pleasing. 1 John chapter 2 tells us that keeping God's commandments is pleasing to God. In other words, whenever we trust and obey God, it pleases Him. Yes, positionally we're always pleasing to God because we're in Christ. And Christ's life is my life. But in this life, my life, by I live my life, can be pleasing to God. It can bring God great pleasure. Is our obedience ever perfect in this life? No. Do we always have the purest of motives? No. Our lives will never be perfectly obedient in this life. But our lives as we seek to be obedient and grow in grace, it pleases the Lord to see His people loving Him and showing that by obedience. Matter of fact, Jesus told us in John 15, you cannot say you love me if you don't obey me. The most practical way to show your love for the Lord is through obedience. Obedience is love. It's true in the marriage, right? Unless there's mutual obedience in serving one another, there can't be true love. You don't ever do anything for each other. How could there be true love? But love is action. It's a word that we do something with. You know, from time to time, uh, a child or a young child in our church will come up to me after the worship service and they'll bring me a a, um, a picture that they have drawn. And um, it could be of a number of things. Sometimes I'll get pictures of the church building. Um, one time I was preaching the book of Jonah and I got a bunch of fish. You know, people, would, they just draw these fish. And then they, they sometimes would just bring pictures of me, which is quite humbling. Um, but kids love to bring those pictures up at times. Now, are they perfect pictures? No. They have the right color, use the right color crayons? No. Do they have the right angles and how they drew it? No. Not at all. But when they bring the picture up, they, they do that in the worship service because they, they want to do something, let's just say they want to 
please. They, they want to express something to me as a pastor of their church. Now, imagine if a child came up to me and handed me that paper, and I looked at it and said, is this the best you can do? I mean, can't you do better than this? I mean, somebody brought me a picture last week that was much better than this one. Come on, you can do better than this. Take it back and go back and draw again. No, you wouldn't expect me to say that, and I haven't said that. You wouldn't say that. Why? Because the child did it out of their heart to express their love, maybe for me, it was a good day, and they, and they wanted to show that in what they had done to the best of their ability. And it's the same way in your relationship with God. You will never draw the perfect picture. But our obedience before the Lord is pleasing to Him. It brings Him pleasure. And I say all this to say that your obedience matters. Yes, we are securing Christ. And we are fully pleasing to him in Christ. But our practical outliving of our life, our obedience is pleasing. It does matter. You know, there's a verse in Romans chapter 16, verse 19. And I close with this verse. Paul says this about the church in Rome. He says, your obedience is known to all. Think about that. He says, your obedience is known to all. I ask you as I ask myself, is obedience to God what you're known for? Do the people look at you and think, they're different. They're not judgmental towards me. They're very receptive towards me. And yet at the same time, they hold fast and firm to what they believe. I can tell that their religion means something to them. They seem to be consistent in living it out, and yet when they don't, they're quick to admit, hey, listen, I, I messed up and blew it right here. There's something different about them. And as a church, as you grow, God calls you and calls you individually to grow in this aspect of obedience. Because grace without obedience is not true grace. And obedience without grace is not true obedience. So in our pursuit of holiness, I close with this thought. We are fully pleasing to God. He has done everything for us. And that there becomes the motivation and the movement that we move towards living a life that is obedient to the Lord. Where does your life need alignment? Where might it need to be straightened, to be more aligned with the Lord in his calling upon your life? Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have called us to be obedient, not because... You're trying to be mean to us, but because in obedience to you, that is where life is found. 